0: From Central Sauce and the Fifth Element Podcast Network, this is In Search of Sauce, a celebration of the writers who are saving music journalism from death by clickbait. Uh, managing editor at central sauce and a freelance writer at OK player and today with me i have tyler jones say hi to the people tyler
1: what's up what's up this is tyler jones um i and poet, writer, like I said, plays blister for Central Sauce. Currently, am finishing and writing a poetry book called *City and Sun*. Look forward to it at the end of fall, if not early winter.
0: And also with me today, I have Charlie Taylor.
2: Yeah, what's good? What's good? I mean, you guys hear me every freaking time, so I feel like you know the vibes by now. But yeah, hi.
0: <laughs> and in today's episode, we're bringing three excellent articles. Uh, first, we're going to talk about the streaming economy and the creator economy through a Rolling Stone article. Then we are going to get into Kalila, um, an interview with Dazed, and we're going to end on a little tribute to Coolio uh, through a BBC News article. Before we jump into it, though, um, you know, just always curious what you guys have been listening to. Tyler, why don't you why don't you go ahead and tell us what what's uh, what's been in the
1: in the, the playlist lately? Um, I, I've, as you know, as some of you may know, I work with kids, so I, I have to sometimes curate my music around kids. So I've been listening to a lot of Devin Morrison uh, Dream Lobby Volumes 1, 2, and 3. It's If anyone hasn't checked it out, they are just very easy, almost 90s, early 2000s, like beats and instrumentals that sound, as the name implies, very Dream Lobby. If you're in a, If you're in an elevator on a car ride trying to meditate, or just like, I don't know, even set a mood. I feel like all three of these volumes are very, very good for that. And the only other thing I'm listening to besides just Hello R&B is a Canadian R&B artist named Dylan Sinclair, who recently, well, who put out an album this this year called, um, uh, let me see, No Longer in the Suburbs, who they're also putting out a deluxe edition very soon. They saw, I think they sound like a updated version of Music Soul Child Sonically, so if you like that, give it a shot.
0: All right, and Charlie, what have you been listening to lately?
2: Um, to give one recommendation, because um, unlike you guys, I I actually can a- be am able to spin more than five uh, re- uh, projects in a week. Um, so I get on my level. <laughs> uh, but to just recommend one, um, uh, Blue Note Reimagined Two. Uh, for those that don't know, it's the second edition of. Uh, Blue Note records being kind of like reimagined by UK artists. Um, Wait, I do the... know this. Oh, good. So let me explain to the people that don't know what it is. Uh, what it is yeah. <laughs> glad glad Tyler doesn't know. Um, but yeah, basically just um, a bunch of UK uh, soul, jazz, uh, even hip-hop artists as well, um, recreating, covering uh, from the Blue Note catalog uh, from wherever, of obviously, the expansive collection that that is. <laughs> um, but yeah, they dropped... Um, the second one uh this past week um and just got some really good covers on it uh Theon Cross uh covering Thelonious Monk uh Ego yeah. LMA, uh, covering Chico Hamilton Swindle covering uh Donald Birds. there's a lot of Nora Jones here as well uh Bonnie uh Bobby Humphrey covers uh I fucking us so much Marlena Shaw by Kate uh, Kate Young does a great uh uh a, a remix of like a uh, feel feel like making love from marlena shaw is absolutely amazing and uh venner as well on on donald birds uh where are we going uh reuben james binker golden charise frank moody uh just some really good stuff all over the spot and the special thing about that about these two projects is in, in particular is that even though uh there's been two so far. There's been no kind of overlap, so they've they got a certain set of people for the first one, like the likes of Georgia Smith, Emma Jean Thackeray. Um, but now they've switched up, and there's a completely new set of people that haven't been on it yet. And uh, man, I just I I like I'd like for this to carry on because um, I feel like it just really uh, uh, exemplifies uh, the uh, just the the, the 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 swell of talent uh, that we've got in the UK right now. So uh, yeah, big ups to everyone involved on that.
1: Yeah, I, if I'm definitely want to rush out that record um, on the first volume by Jordan McKay. It is absolutely amazing. Um, yeah, it's it's so good. I'm oh god, I, we have to talk to Charlie about this later. But yeah, it's so good.
2: So on good. a geek, on a geek tip, if you really want to properly, I in my mind properly spin it is to like uh just find a playlist. Um, I think Blue Note Records has actually done the playlist itself, where like they have the original song and then the cover. It mixes, it mixes so well so you can just immediately get the differences because, you know, I'm not expect. I, I didn't. I haven't <laughs> listened to, obviously, the originals before. Um, most, of, most of them anyway. Well, all of them. This could be real. And, uh, yeah, you know, so when you listen to the originals and then listen to the cover, it's kind of interesting of how uh, artists either stick to the original in some w- in most ways, but then some of them have just gone completely different way with it and done their own flavour of it. It's interesting. It's an interesting exploration. So if you have a spare three hours... Go for it.
0: Hey, I'm always looking for new jazz to make like writing music, so I might have to check that out. That's a good plug. I was I was asleep. I didn't even heard of that yet. Um, for my own plug, I'm just gonna throw a quick mention. Obviously, the Freddie Gibbs record. Uh, if you know me, you know I love Freddie. Always listen to his new shit. But you've probably seen plenty of that on your timeline. Uh, so I'm gonna use my time here today to plug Yessie by Jesse Reyes. Um, the best, I guess, if you're not really like hip on Jesse Reyes the best introduction I could imagine would just be to go watch her most recent Tiny Desk. Um, That's a lot of songs from this album, plus some old classics. Because I think it really demonstrates to like how engaging that her sets are, like whether it's whether it's like a live set from her or like a sharply sort of uh, put together album, like, she's very, very engaging, like lots of variety in her sort of like, like Latin R&B kind of style. Um, Definitely like some hip hop inspiration in there too. But it's just very like, like it really like, it really like takes you on a trip and it covers a lot of ground, like throughout each album. There's so much, um, you know, so much range in like the type of R&B and the type of delivery she's bringing. And yes, he's only, I mean, it's only like 11 songs. So it's definitely in the range of those shorter sort of albums that you get a lot of chances to kind of play front to back. Um, I kind of talked about the, I think on the last podcast, the Rock Marciano album is the same way, you know, these shorter sort of like sub 40 minute listens that just like fit really well into like certain time slots of the day. Um, and Jesse Reyes albums kind of always hit that mark for me. So definitely check out Yesi. That's, it's been one of my favorites this year. Um, a lot of really good R&B this year, actually, like between that, Ari Lennox, Kalani, um, a lot of really good stuff this year. But let's go ahead and jump right in. Our first article is actually mine, so I just get to take it away. Uh, we're talking about The Rosie Creator Economy is Music's Biggest Lie by Tim Ingham and Rolling Stone. Um, technically Rolling Stone Pro, which is similar to Billboard Pro. It's like a segment of the website that um, particularly covers like specifics on the music industry, the music economy, uh, sort of the more professional kind of industry side of of music journalism. Um, they're usually like really good, heavy, like data reported pieces, business journalism, um, you know, pieces that bring a lot of industry information like outside of the actual music and outside of the actual artist. And one of the reasons I wanted to bring this article in particular <clears throat> is that a lot of our listeners to this podcast, readers at Central Sauce, Um, The audience we reach tends to be a lot of, you know, young indie artists, um, freelance journalists, you know, a lot of people who are in, I guess, what we would call even like the creator economy, as they sort of dub it in this article. Um, You know, it's a lot of people who are, another word for it, I think that, Charlie, you brought up earlier was passion economy. Um, You know, it's a lot of people who are still young, and they've sort of grown up now in this age where they're seeing... All these YouTube creators, all these podcasters, um, you know, it's more easy than ever to create something and upload it to the internet. And this is sort of where the article picks up is the idea that like it, it, it looks easier than ever to create something and upload it. And, and you think that that equates very quickly to the monetization of what you want to create. Um, but the first stat that this article breaks down is a stat from Patreon, which is presented in a really, really strong way with this lead, um, where it opens up, want to hear the most depressing stat in modern entertainment. And the most depressing stat is actually that the CEO of Patreon um, shows data that says 75% of kids age six to 17 want to be an online video creator when they grow up. And it sort of catches you off guard because your first instinct is like, okay, why is that depressing? That's amazing. Like, we should be encouraging creativity in kids. It should be inspiring that more kids than ever, you know, want to be creative. But as this is, you know, a Rolling Stone Pro article and it breaks down the economy of it, it starts asking the question: Okay, if if seventy five percent of people are creating, then who are they creating for? Right, and and who is paying? Who is one of the central questions of the article, and it, it opens with Patreon, um, which is a platform that allows people to subscribe to an artist, a podcaster, a comedian, you know, any 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 sort of creator or, or entertainer that you uh, find interesting, you're able to subscribe to their page on Patreon for a fee. And that Patreon then takes, you know, a portion of the subscriptions to that artist. Um, and it starts to talk about how that this sort of business model from these tech companies um, is not really targeted at making... A creator economy a viable option for a large number of creators and that only like these companies generate their revenue based on adding lots of subscriptions and not lots of artists who are able to make a living on their platform. Obviously, when you when you think about sort of this like economic dynamic, uh, one of the ones that comes up the most readily and the, probably the most accessible that you've heard a lot about is Spotify when it comes hey. to streaming payments. Yeah. So they, so they go into some specific details, um, on the Spotify streaming payments and that's where they get into the real like data heavy analysis breakdown part of this. Um, and you know, first of all, Spotify themselves have put out, you know, when they kind of were facing this streaming payment, you know, critique, um, they put out a bunch of information themselves, you know, to sort of show like, no, look like we're, we're, we're doing excellent. We're doing very well. Here's how much we're paying to artists. And in that analysis, they, they first wanted to define what they consider to be professional or professionally aspiring artists, right? Because you know, there are millions and millions of uploaders on Spotify, but in order to look at like, okay, who are the professional musicians on this platform and how much are they earning? So Spotify makes that cutoff for this, this data. Um, you have to pass two checks basically. And the first one is having at least 10 songs uploaded to the platform. The second one is having at least an average of 10,000 monthly listeners. And then you can also be counted into this if you, like, registered some form of live or digital um, music event in the year 2019 before things got, like, wrecked by the pandemic. So when you throw that, like, quantifying mark on it, um, Spotify estimates that they have about 200,000 professional or professionally aspiring artists and the crazy thing about that stat is that their royalty payments that they paid out at least in 2020 because i actually used some of this data for a story of mine that should be coming out next week so i kind of have some of my own numbers to pull too. but in 2020 yeah in 2020 the year of the pandemic it'll be on OK player check it out
2: okay um what they
0: the first year of the pandemic spotify spotify paid out five billion dollars in royalty payments but at a minimum of 44% of those royalty payments went to the top 6.7% of artists. And Rolling Stone has um, this little pie chart in here. And I know readers, you can't, or listeners, you can't see the pie chart, but sort of, let me just, so you have like 75% of the pie chart is taken up by artists that are making under 50,000. And this is like the very, very top percentage of earners at spotify and then every time you move to a neck to the next like payment level on the pie chart the slices get smaller and smaller and smaller until they practically disappear and what i found looking at this data is that every single level of the pie chart looks like this no matter how far down or how far up you go every single one is like the vast majority like almost 75 percent of the artists in that in that uh payment range are being paid the minimum of that payment range so it's sort of skewed to make it look like you know we have so and so so many artists that are earning this amount but really at almost every level it's almost the vast majority of artists earning like the minimum at that level and the vast majority of the money actually going to the very like most concentrated percent Um, and so what that really like equals out to is the gist of the article getting at like if we're putting more and more people into this streaming economy and we continue using these tech companies' business models, which profit entirely off of just bringing more creators but not giving them more options to make a living, um, you know, that's, as they said at the beginning of the article, the most depressing stat. Like when you actually break down the economic function of, of how that looks under our current uh, creator economy. So, what did you guys think of the article? You know, what did you learn about it? And and also, you know, as all of us are, I guess, sort of participants in that creator economy ourselves too. Um, was this a little disheartening? Like, how do you feel about, you know, your future as a creator? And do you see any way of kind of getting around this? Whether or not that's addressing how we choose to create or addressing, um, you know, the tech companies and their existing models and how to change those in a way that actually creates a viable economy for that 75% of young people who want to participate in creation of some kind.
2: <sighs> okay, so <clears throat> I feel like um, something that needs to be added towards this conversation and not necessarily um, like mentioned anywhere in the article um, is that, sure, if you just want to get into things, uh, YouTube, right, being probably the main one, just, you know, people just want to be YouTubers in some fashion, whether it be just reacting to shit or just playing Minecraft, um, you know, go for it, right? But I feel like there needs to be a just a, I feel like education is just lost in, in this equation where just everyone has to learn shit um, on the fly. And realize at some point that <laughs> it's it's incredibly uh, hard to get into you know the quote unquote Spotify uh, Gold Club or whatever. Not that any, not the you kind of need to, right? I th- I feel like that's probably something worth mentioning that you know being in the quote unquote Gold Club is is you know. Go- I mean, if you get there, go for it. Like all blessings to you, but like <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's, 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 it's 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 not necessary, right? Um, I remember seeing a. I remember seeing a, um, I remember seeing a, a, a stat, a statistic, a few a few weeks ago, saying like oh, the average U.S. Music, musician musician um, earns about twenty five k a year. Um, I don't know how much that converts to pounds, but I'm assuming that's uh, that's not good. Um, so it's about
0: one one to one right now, actually. Uh, like, yeah. The well, conversion rate's
2: actually, almost yeah, one to yeah. one. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for reminding me of how <laughs> dog shit this country is. <coughs> um, um <laughs> Tories out, Tories out. On the burn, burn down Babylon. Anyway, um, but yeah, so probably about the same at this point. Um, and <laughs> yeah, so you know, it, I I get that. People want to do things. I want to do things. You two want to do things, right? Um, but this this con- this concept of creator economy and also some pe- execs are calling it in brackets, passion economy. Um, that just, that as a term does not fly with me at all. That, that's, a, that's an oxymoronic uh, phrase right there. Passion and economy. <laughs> no that that just, just simply does not fly okay if someone has a passion in woodworking for example right they're gonna they're gonna buy some wood they're gonna get some I don't know wood burning tools and burn some art on it right that's 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 a passion right there you don't expect to the people do it for hobbies they don't make it to 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 sell if people want it then go for it right then you've then you've got something but it just it doesn't The origin is never in, I'm going to make money off this. It just never is in my mind, for people that want to do creative shit, every time a YouTuber comes up or a Twitch streamer these days comes up and, you know, they always say it in the in the beginning, I just did it just because I wanted to. I, I just did it because, uh, you know, I just wanted to play games or, you know, or talk, or talk about this and whatever. They just do it for the passion of it. They don't do it for the economy side of it. That comes later in the game if they actually play their cards right. And that's another thing, playing cards right, right? I feel like I probably don't play my cards right as well as I uh probably should. Um and that comes from a very stubborn slash uh uh princi- principality uh, d- way of way of doing things, right? But I get it if people want to start a Patreon or whatever, right? I get it. It is if it's something that you if it's something that you think you can make a uh, make an uh a living out of then by all means right that's, uh, that's always the that's always the way it cu- things come back to and this kind of reminds me of that jeff weiss piece um that I, uh, that I threw a few months ago um that long read about streaming um it reminds me of that and it was a i think mickey came up with a really good fucking alternative that i've completely forgotten um but here we are and yeah, I just I don't know. You know, there's a bit in the funny enough in in the in the piece. They so mentioned the politicians in uh, my UK government uh, saying that commercial apparatus in music stream is ne- in need of a complete reset. Um, <laughs> and then on and then uh, on the very first page, uh, quote some successful critically acclaimed artists have found that the earnings from streaming are not significant enough to keep the wolf away from the door. It says. Um, and I feel like um, a, a conversation about what The Wolf uh, the wolf is, um, is needed as well. So it says here as well, as an overt reference to the acclaimed British singer-songwriter Nadine Shah, who used the phrase when giving companion levels to politicians in Korea in November, uh, COVID hijacking any hopes of touring income, uh, strung to pay bills only from streaming revenue. She currently has 71, let's just say 71K global listeners on Spotify which is a lot on the surface as you as you can imagine like imagine 71,000 people in a in a spot like Wembley or right? whatever well, it seems like a lot but that's streaming not buying tickets to go see her at Wembley um but yeah and then she and then because uh, uh, uh each day Shah is battling over 7 million fellow eyes for a piece of spotify that's just and there you go right so you've 71,000 people listening to your shit but you're battling 7 million <laughs> other people yeah. to get a uh, foot in the door it, it's not, it's not, that's not sustainable for anybody, right? And, you know, some, and this is where capitalism comes in. I feel bad because, um, uh, B meant to kind of gave this cycle specifically for Jay, um, who I'm filling in <laughs> for. And now I'm just completely hijacking it and just going, you know what? Fuck whatever, um, business minded, um, business leaning, Factuals that Jasmine would have come through with. Let me talk about capitalism for a second, right? Um, But (laughs) yeah, it just, it just, it just seems a lot of it seems so unsustainable. And for me personally, and this is not the same thought as everybody else, it makes me not want to participate in some way. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's just like Mm -hmm. you know what? To hell with all that. Like that's just that's just uh, that's just a lot of wheel spinning. It feels like it feels like another version of a rat race. That's all it feels like to me personally. But anyway, I've talked enough. Tell tell you what you
1: got. Uh, I, see, I feel like you guys have said a lot already,
2: man. Uh, I could have gone for another five minutes to be yeah. fair. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll let it brief. I'll let it brief.
1: No, you're good. You're good. But almost, I'm, I think I'm a, like, I'm I'm trying not to rant myself, but like I'm think I'm somewhere like also gonna go off both of y'all's points. Um, one thing that we should def that that I got from this article, right? Um, do what you are passionate about, regardless of what you make. If you if you really really want to be an artist, right, and that's in every single facet, whether that is you are a musician, that is whether you are a writer, like us, because ki- as kids, by the way, out there while we're all trying to change for the future, writers writers don't get paid that much. <laughs> if you want to be a podcaster, if you want to be a YouTuber, whatever it may be, do it for the passion first. Right. And then, and like, as Charlie was saying, if you truly, truly love it and you want to like be successful, all of it, like truly, truly, then sure. the, It'll, it'll come. You'll find ways to make it work. Right. If that, if that's what you truly want to do and you are passionate about it. Right. But, don't go into it, and I say this as a, almost as a warning to, let's say, if we have younger listeners, younger viewers, don't go into it truly because oh, I want to be a star, oh, I want to make money. Like as Charlie was saying, fuck capitalism, bro. Like it's if you're doing the art for money, then trust me, you will lose your art eventually. I pro- I, I promise you that. Um, I say this knowing because as some of you, as some of you may know, and it's maybe some of my um my co-hosts can like re- relate to i have nieces and nephews my niece is now uh, is now old enough my nephew's not old enough where they've talked about being content creators and they're like oh, and when they were younger they were like oh i'm gonna do it because i want money it seems like they're seeing all these people make money and that is not the case <laughs> they had to do it because they wanted to do it and now they're doing they're finding their own facets of creativity where they're truly have found their passion right so that's that one thing, right? And on the more business side of things, uh it's funny, I think I literally saw a YouTube vi- uh, video or at least I saw a thumbnail of it anyway, called The Influencer Bubble Will Not Last. <laughs> um, and that's true. It's once again, we live off this thing of per- uh, perception, right? We're seeing it's like almost to these kids, right? Where's yeah, whether you're seeing these YouTubers, these musicians, these these gold member clubs, right, of Spotify, you're like, oh, they got the money, they got this, they got that. That's not sustainable forever. Like they don't even, even need it at that point, bro. Yeah, exactly. They don't. It's they really don't. And it's like it's,
2: Normani uh, and Chloe don't have to drop. Think ever. about that. Just they, a they really, random they examples. Have to on my ever. mind, for no reason at all, of course, you know, no reason at all that Normani and Chloe sure. are on my mind. Sure but, they didn't. <laughs> <laughs> That's completely organic, okay? Just, just came out, just came out nowhere. Um they don't need to drop they don't need to drop. They actually don't. For the rest of their lives, they probably don't need to drop anymore. (laughs) And money ain't got an album out. And she's
1: good. So. They're gonna be fine. They will do it off. It's it's, it's like a lot of uh, another, another little inside tip guys. A lot of these artists, these clothes you see them wearing, it's not really their clothes. They either rented or like they are, or they are brand deals, guys. They are brand deals. They don't just like they're not just spending loads of cash like at these Gucci, Prada, L- Louis things. It is coming from brand deals. You guys oh see gosh. these K-pop stars? They, that is not clothes that they own. They are renting them. They are not using them, fam. Like just to let you know that these yeah, you uh, like
2: have, you have removed the curtain. Oh my god,
1: <laughs> nothing is real, bro. But at the same time, though, at the like once again, too, on the business side of things, it is fascinating. Like. Because here's it, I thought about making at one point making a Patreon. I thought about I wasn't even gonna approach you guys at Central Sauce about having a Patreon. Right? But one, this guy seems kind of mucky, so i um it's like I understand where his where his mindset is at. He's like, oh, everyone's becoming creators. That's awesome. But also like he's making a lot of money off these creators at the same time, though. So like also I feel kind of mucky about that. Um and two is not everyone's gonna make it, bro. There is not. If you can find like your avenue, your lane, then great. That's going to be fantastic for you. And that's what's going to work. Then it comes to the, and these artists on Spotify, bro, nobody makes money. I, I was, there was one article I was going to write uh, where it broke down the best streaming services and everything in nature for you. Who knows? I might even do it. I might even try to revamp it for like the beginning of next year. But like, yeah, Spotify pays the least. Is one or one of them that pays the least. YouTube is also in the bottom of, of stuff of like paying artists for their music videos. Let's say like they're even like uh, visualizers, whatever it may be. Titles, and, uh, is, cause is, I want I say unfortunately at the top because no one uses title anymore. Um, Not to say no one, but like it's very far few in between because only because the subscription service is so much and everything of that nature so yeah no one's making money bro no one's making money um but there is one particular note i wanted to say right that i had written down when i was like it it was like it's something that popped up in my head immediately is if uh, it's called they were wrenching in the article about this one artist who had a certain amount of thousand listeners right but and if they were like oh if they take their music off the off this platform that'll be great Cause it's now moving towards like what they want to do, whether it's a band camp, whatever. I I, I guess my larger question is, and it can be for you guys. You guys can answer this or like, this can be for the audience. If an artist leaves, will the consumer follow? I think that's something that people are constantly trying to figure out. Like, if like let's say if a Drake leaves, I use him cuz like um or T- Drake Taylor Swift, those two whatever, right? If they were to leave Spotify specifically. Like totally like even though they have brand deals once again and commercials with Apple Music, if they were to, like totally leave Spotify and just go to Apple Music, even though they're also competitor and they're not so not great. What would that do? Would their fans also follow? Like legitimately? You guys can either answer this, or like I said, you can leave it up to interpretation if you want to make a quick, quick thing.
0: I mean, didn't um, didn't Jay Z move a bunch of his music exclusively to Title at some point?
1: Yeah, but like I, when I, he
0: first started his streaming. So the yep. reason Sorry. I didn't use Jay Z that-
1: is is because Jay it's while Jay Z definitely still has an audience and is I mean I, I'm talking about of a current. Megastar, star like even when jay-z did this like he's he was still like let me see entering his 40s about to enter his 50s um at that point point. i say he was past his prime but it's like to have the hold on the current like for i would even say a harry styles if harry styles right was to leave with his like rabid fan base was he if he were to leave an exclusive platform and just be like my music is only on here what his fans follow like legitimately
0: well i think I think the Jay Z example just goes to show that artists of that size are not. That's not going to happen unless make they it, have already got make a, it
2: dead, a, a bro. Probably didn't make a debt yeah. portfolio. not Yeah, like they're
0: not. They're not going to leave money on the table. You know what I mean? Like art. Like artists of that size aren't going anywhere unless there's a more profitable option. Um, however, I do think that there is a trend of the smaller artists, the indie artists, um, leave or not if not leaving Spotify, at least not like you know, that's not what they're aiming for. You know, you've got Bandcamp now, you've yeah. got Audio Mac, um, you've got Mac lots Tommy. of like indie. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like you've got lots of these indie creators who are trying to find other ways to stream, sell and market their music other than relying on the streaming. Um, but I also wanted to hone in on, you know, Charlie, what you said when you, you sort of criticized like the conundrum of passion economy, right? And something I think is interesting about this article is that the article talks about passion economy as a function of these tech companies. And Tyler, you mentioned image a lot too. And there image is a hugely important thing about this. Mm-hmm. This passion economy
2: mm-hmm. is
0: driven by the false image that you can profit and make up and make that money. That's mm. like that's the whole thing that drives the passion economy. So as long as there's that illusion, you know, the 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 passion economy is the tech companies profiting off of your passion from both fueling the passion mm-hmm. as well as as like commodifying it yeah you know they profit off the say, off the passion and so they have a financial incentive in encouraging people to continue to be passionate towards creation because yep. they're the ones who benefit from that
2: yeah yeah. Else.
0: All right. Any any last thoughts on that article or should I go ahead and throw it to Tyler? Let's,
2: let's keep it moving. We can keep do this moving. for now.
0: <laughs> yeah, take it away, Tyler.
1: All right. So my article was grounded, the revival of Kalele um written by amber j phillips photography by justin french and
2: styling by glenn Liddin? Liddin? Yeah, i'm glad you got uh, the photography and styling in for a, for a podcast thanks it's good, it's good
1: to i know but like it's uh, well, like i said i always like giving the folks credit right just because like it, they, it's a whole feature right but um basically but this article is an interview background at, uh, about kalayla who is about to who is who is dropping new music um And something that I found interesting about this article was their one Kalayla's, uh, interest in the literary, in literary, um, not elements, but I guess work for inspiration and two, even the writer also using that as the almost starting point for the article. Right. Uh, referencing how they've been reading what they've been reading how that has influenced them and and even pushing it forward because it seems like this this the tone of this article slash interview slash profile was the relationship they seemed to have it almost seemed like they were friends if not like talked Mm. often the tone that uh that amber used was like oh this is like a friend like this really is more of a conversational interview than it is a formal one um. Even though it was, even though to get the last few notes, they did it over Zoom, right? And I thought that was very interesting because, uh, Brandon, you're you're also our interview guy. When was the last time that you've read an interview where it doesn't where the interview portion, right, where the back and forth doesn't doesn't start with the with the writer, where it actually starts with the artist with the quote mm. first? Because I thought that was very interesting.
0: Yeah, I mean, you definitely don't see that a lot but actually now that you mention it I don't I mean that's probably like more doable than than it looks I guess people just don't think about it like if you have the control to write into the transcript yeah like you you could definitely can write into like the lead to your question and then just cut the question out so like I I guess that's definitely more more doable than what it seems like but it's just def- it's not very conventional yeah but it worked really well it's probably it not a
2: motif it's probably not a motif that's used but i know that i know there's plenty of podcasts that start that begin with that kind of thing it's like I, I began with this question and then boom they just jump right into it so mm-hmm. yeah i i can see this being a probably not thing that's used but um definitely can be yeah it, it was much
1: more of a podcaster element to me because it's like the one quote it's like the hook right <laughs> it's like it's like the initial hook it's, Charlie, it's Charlie's like, yeah, I do this all the time, man. I think y'all catch up. <laughs> Reaching into but, my point to carry on. Uh, but I like, know for real, it's. Um, I thought that was. <laughs> I thought that was very interesting. Uh, I thought that was very interesting because it also added to the familiarity that they had going as they continued that interview portion, right? It w- it made me also once again, th- once again, as Brendan was saying, it made me think about my own writing technique and how I might do, how I might, I might do that going forward. Um, starting with the artist first, and to cut out my question entirely, and then starting with that. So I thought structurally it was very different, and it was like tonally was different, structurally it was different, but it was also, but it made it more engaging in that in that regard. So w- real quick. How what did you guys think of the article? What, what are you guys familiar with Kalela's music?
0: Uh, uh- I'll toss it to Charlie. I know I know he's got a point burning a
2: hole in him right now He's, he needs to get off. it's not it's not it's, not, it's not burning a hole in me i'll get <laughs> i'll get it'll, it'll it'll come it'll come it'll come in due time but um uh i i do remember spinning cut for me uh vaguely i mean jesus when was that um i mean well t- take me apart that was the one yeah 2017 Rah. yeah, yeah. That, was, like, that was a while back crazy. um it's crazy yeah. how
0: 2017 feels like forever ago now
2: yeah yeah just Trump firings and that was it. But anyway, um <laughs> it was it was it was I don't I don't remember I literally don't remember the albums uh, specifically, um uh, in terms of just what were like uh came out to me. I I've, I honestly until like last week when I started seeing people asking uh, you know, Kalala's back and I'm I was, I was like, Oh yeah, I forgot about Kalaila low key. Um But uh I guess what with that said uh, what I do enjoy about this um, is the fact that it's, this is kind of for those people. This is a interview that's built for the people that have been asking, where's Kalela? I need Kaleida back. Mm. But when, when we needed her most, she vanished, shout out to Avatar, you know what I mean? All that kind of stuff, right? Everyone's like, uh, people saying that. That's kind of, I feel, this is a very niche interview. That's what I'll say, to be professional about it. It's a very niche interview. I feel like, for people that wanted to know where Kaleela's been, and I feel like it, this, you know, does that very well. In terms of, uh, what she said in 2019, creating her own reader primer, and, uh, you know, I I pre I like that I like that. It's just a general thing to do. I feel like that's kind of cool to just have a, just have a, a block of um uh, texts and articles. I love the I love the. I remember the I actually remember reading the Damon Young one. Uh, straight black men are the white people of black people. Uh, that, was, yep. that was very that was a that was a very witty <laughs> witty piece and and truths uh, of uh, of course in the social hierarchy that is the world. Um, but um. Past that, um, I kind of just feel like, and I say all that with the fact that I am not one of those people. I am not one of those people that have been going, oh, when, Kale- when we needed the Kale- most, she vanished. Um, I personally kept it moving. Um, <laughs> so as a kind of just objective scene to, look, look eye to it, I was just like... Man, this could have been a half-decent podcast for an hour. Just listening to Kalayla and MJ Phillips just shooting the shit. Because that's kind of just what it feels like on here. Even a YouTube uh, video. I don't, I don't know. You know what I mean? Just pop it on Days YouTube. I'll give it a watch. Fuck it. You know what I mean? Just having them uh, doing what they're doing. If, uh, whatever. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's that's kind of just all I got from it, to be honest. Um, obviously, the um, in in a, inner a text itself. You know, uh, conversations about colorism is always appreciated and always encouraged to have because um you know it's always a con it's always a thing that is talked about it's one of those things that are talked about but not talked about properly and you know i'm not expecting to have (laughs) nuanced conversations about colorism on social media it's just not the place for it um but you know i'll take i'll take an article i'll take that you know i mean that's 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 like we like we not to not to sidetrack this too much, but you know we were talking about this kind of uh, concept of having these conversations on a platform that uh, that actually f- gives gives the gives the gives the uh, gives the concept or conversation some credence. Instead of a white dude going on Twitter talking about Lil Wayne, like that's that's not what we here. That's not what this is for. Big Just tracks. drop your hot takes, do that. But if you want to drop an actual take hit up an article, pitch something, you know what I mean? Um, And this Mm. kind of just, this kind of goes into that in in my mind. I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be, if this was on Twitter spaces, maybe, but but probably not. Um, But, you know, in having these conversations, which are very deep conversations on colorism, misogynoir, um, the positions of dark-skinned femmes, gender non-conforming, people with disabilities, shit like that. You can't have that on on social media, and these are the places that I feel are are great for it. So you know, shout out to even having this conversation on a platform like this. I feel like it's necessary, of course, and uh, it's a perfect place to do so.
0: Yeah, I mean, so you you hit on like one of the things too, which is how conversational this interview obviously is, and I'm thinking about yeah, it in terms too of like. Of, <laughs> of a lot of the a lot of the interviews that I've done, and how sometimes there are interviews where okay, for example, I'll bring up my um, my Vic Mensa interview because there's another specific tie in to this sort of plug article. number but two. When I when I interviewed <laughs> Vic Mensa and then put the transcript out, the transcript like I cut almost everything out of the questions that I asked to get to just like the core of what you need to go into into Vic's quotes. Um, and one of the reasons I did that is because like the, the the actual conversation between us was like much more give and take than what you read in the transcript. But what I had to say was not important or core to what I wanted readers to get out of the transcript. You what readers need to get out of the transcript is the words of, of Vic, right? Versus um, another recent interview I did with Sandy Benjamin, was much more, that one was more conversational because we were talking about very abstract topics like surrealism in art, like uh, the function of memory and the creation of music. And so that, like the the highlighted aspect of that conversation was sort of the back and forth between us. And so, you know, the reason I, I, I sort of make that comparison is that the content of this interview is not just found in like the the answers from Kalila the the content of this interview is the back and forth if you trimmed down the journalists questions to just like the bare essentials you would lose so much of what makes this you know conversation flowing and um, also the bit the bit at the beginning where they sort of list off you know, all these articles, all these books, all these readings, um, definitely lends better to text than it would in a podcast,
2: definitely. you know, in,
0: in a, in a, in an, in an audio sample, when you get long lists like that, you tone them out. But when you read them, you know, the, just the visual, vi- visual recognition of those things sinks in better. Um, so that definitely lended better to text and, um, specifically actually this, this article was just another reminder for me that I need to read The Will to Change by Bell Hooks um, because <laughs> that was actually brought up also in that conversation I had with Vic Mensa. Um, we talked a lot about like books and literature, so it's it's interesting how they were sort of similar conversations, but because of the nature of like who I am as an interviewer in the context of that story – versus who this journalist is as an interviewer in the context of this story, how two sort of similarly, like, I guess, similarly aimed conversations can be presented entirely with different ways, depending on, you know, who you are as a journalist and recognizing that and, you know, translating that into like, what is the best aspect of this conversation that I want to get across to the reader. And it's interesting to me, you know, how, How very, very differently that those two things are just depending on, you know, who you are as the writer, who you are as the journalist and recognizing like what aspects of yourself are valuable to the conversation and what aspects of yourself are distracting to the conversation. Right. Um, So it was really, you know, really interesting to see something done in this way when I've had the experience with kind of doing it in a completely different
2: way that's three plugs by the way on the branded plug counter <laughs> They're relevant.
1: <laughs> and yeah it's something i also want to like uh just definitely um as, as i know as we have to close out soon um def- definitely i want to like get across as well with kalayla is in the year of 2022 where there has been house slash dance albums from like the two biggest artists in the world and how a lot of artists are Mm. moving to they seem to be moving music that make people want to be happy i'd like how kalayla also reminded as someone who was at the forefront of that before everybody else (laughs) um, that she's that that they stated that dance and house music isn't just for forgetting the times is for raging it is also for politicizing it is for everything under the sun that makes you feel and i'm glad they got that across as they also that's once again this article was chock full of points about colorism Af- afrofuturism and just doing your reading if you're going to like do some stuff do your reading guys uh as i hope you do that as our audience like as readers and writers um i definitely want to shout her out because when i was getting into dance music even before k i heard of Kalela. so I'm gonna make sure that they have their flowers always, and I'm glad this article exists. Any last points, guys?
0: Yeah, I just wanted to point out something you said about do your reading too. That this article is also kind of a good example of the lot of the unpaid work that goes into journalism and music journalism. Yeah. Um, because you can tell that this journalist has read many of these same books, right? And they, it's not like they crammed this reading in because they knew that this was the conversation they were having in the interview. Like this journalist is 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 the right person for this interview because they have already read those books, right? They already have that information. And it's something that is, you know, baked into who they are as a writer and and an interviewer that they are bringing to that conversation, right? And that's not, you know, that's not evaluated in like the monetary compensation for time um, that journalists get when they, you know, write a piece or do an interview. But that knowledge, you know, is what makes individuals sort of like the unique you know I compare it to like the books you read as a journalist are almost like points on your like journalist RPG character stat sheet right you know how you assign those skills and levels make you a unique um, skill set and a unique perspective and that doesn't always you know doesn't always get talked about when we talk about the value of a journalist's work we often talk you know purely you know dollars per word cents per word or you you know time per interview or something like that but that that background knowledge is is essential and you can see how well that that applies here
1: oh god remember, remember kids do not be like j cole read remember to read <laughs> and jay-z <laughs> allegedly jay-z jay-z for the li- god god
2: and kanye, they, are, not they allegedly. are signed to the same
1: person <laughs> Rockefeller. Uh, do Rockefeller. Do Rockefeller people read apparently not kanye west jay-z j cole so there we go guys <laughs>
0: All right, Charlie, take take it away. Take it away on Article
2: 3. And yeah. So, uh, finishing off with uh, a piece on BBC uh, by Mark Savage uh, called How Gangster's Paradise Changed the Cause of Hip-Hop. Um, obviously, this is a reference um, and all about uh, R.I.P. Coolio. Recently died, obviously, and uh, this is uh, clearly just a good time to post um, something of this nature, which is um, a kind of like Mini obituary of him, um, but also just an oral history of how gangster's Paradise came out, uh, from just uh, I mean, covering f- covering most things from you know literally the first time he heard it, where he says, "quote I was like, damn, I really like this song," uh, which is pretty much all of us on that front, um, and just going on from that a few quotes, uh, <laughs> the fact that Michelle fife is involved in this story just makes me laugh. Uh, just <laughs> what's a what's a random uh, what's a random to to t- to have right there, um. And like I said, it has kind of like a mini obituary in it, um, just saying like, uh, you know, who was born, da-da-da. Uh, had Chronic Asthma, which I actually didn't know, um, which to shouted Asthma Gang. Um, and, you know, it had uh, just little highlights of where he was at before that, um, signing with Tommy Boy, etc., etc. et, cetera, et cetera, um, and getting to the actual song itself. Um, I-, I was surprised that people, um, I, saw, I saw a couple of tweets that people not realising that um, it... Uh, the song um uh sample stevie wonder from the songs of the key of life and i was like did you not know did not know that oh, I, was, I was surprised i was surprised people didn't know that i thought that was a very well-known uh music sample um in hip-hop history but here we are i mean do your listening um, to
1: do your listening and do your reading
2: <laughs> hey, hey hey nice nice comeback uh that was good so yeah um it's, it's basically that um it's, it's a nice simple oral history um not not nothing no not too much uh uh, you know, uh, doesn't uh, what's the word? That doesn't uh, it 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 shows you it shows you the highlights of what um of what happened basically um especially I li- I li- my personal favorite is kind of this, the uh, Cool A and R Tommy Boy I played it for him. He said he think it'd be a good album cut. Those were exact words. Just, yeah, yeah, perfect, perfect. That's such a that's such a that's such a nice just hip hop quote to have of just someone going like. Yeah, this is good. This is good for an album. Little did he know, it <laughs> yeah, yeah. changed the fucking game. Um, but uh, and yeah, also the from the according to Rolling Stones oral history, Curio uh, was actually paid 100k uh, for Gangster's Paradise, and uh, obviously Stevie Wonder, as as you should know, didn't clear the sample initially. And uh, funny, funny enough, his then wife, Curio's uh, then wife, uh, Josefa uh, Salinas, uh, knew Stevie Wonder's brother and uh, put him on. And uh, all you have to do is take the cuss words out, so, and here we are. And I feel like that kind of adds to the overall point I wanted to make, and it says somewhere in the beginning, here we go, um, it was the first quote-unquote serious rap song to top the UK and US charts, uh, opening the door for acts like Tupac and Biggie, who until that point had been considered too abrasive for the mainstream. And I thought that would be an interesting <laughs> jump-off point for um, just this um, conversation I had, Preferably like to have, but obviously you guys can throw in your uh, uh, throw in your own points. Um, but just the just its place, Gangster's Paradise, its place in hip-hop history. Because obviously the title of the article is How Gangster's Paradise Changed the Course of Hip-Hop History. And I feel like there's a claim that can be made that it actually did. Um, it's just one of those songs that I feel um, is that perfect mix of authenticity but can also be embraced by everyone um and i feel like there's only a a really if we really actually thought about it there's probably a really small minute amount of songs that actually fit both of those um both of those categories um and yeah i just wanted to see um what you guys thought about obviously the piece itself and uh things you learned or uh, if, if you learned anything and um and the question itself is, um, uh, did Gang's Paradise actually change the course of hip hop history? And, uh, if so, why? I
1: mean, absolutely. I think you. That's just easy. That's just an easy, like, answer in that regard. Okay, that's the
2: but, podcast, like... ladies and gentlemen. Uh... <laughs> I mean. Thanks it's... for
1: listening, guys. Um, yeah. <laughs> this has been another episode. Oh, <laughs> uh, but, like, not for real. It's like, um, it's like it's. I can't wait for Rolling Stones like two hundred hip hop songs, uh, best hip hop songs of all time. That's gonna be so so great. Um, but but no, but on all seriousness, uh, like I said, um, Charlie, Charlie makes a really great point. Is because once again, I, while I may not know how gangster rap and rap itself was being perceived in the nineties, um, even though we're also the same age, but it's uh, it, I do think it's interesting to see like. How, what songs were able to one crossover be in, and like, let's say, just mainstream white, uh, white America and then internationally, right? What songs were if, like, because. It, it's funny it's i as some of you may know i once again i'm into korean hip-hop music as well korean music overall and that's and gangsta's paradise is played a lot in the korean hip-hop shows and i'm like wow i'm not sure if they're just doing this to be cringy or if it's like yo this is just it was because it was because it was one of those songs that crossed over once again to not just be a hit for it to be a la um to be a everlasting so a classic for uh, lack of a better word, um, and I think seeing that impact just for in my and multiple platforms, I've seen it in, in different media across countries. I would say yes, that's why it is an easy. Yes, for me, right? And I'm not once again we're not, we're not going to do a Rolling Stone top um, top 200 um, uh, most influential hip hop songs, but I would obviously for me put that on that list, um, and for me it'll be pretty high um also i want to say about this article is like it after coolio passed once in rest in peace god bless it, it i didn't realize how integral he was to like certain aspects of my childhood until you're like oh he was Kwanzaa
2: bot on futurama didn't
1: know that but that's Yo. wait what <laughs> i was like, yeah, I was like man, that's really I cool totally forgot <laughs> about
2: that you know i knew that for a fact i forgot about it. that's crazy right right and bot gangster the- fucking hell
1: the Let's Kenan see. and Kel song, man, and you can also think yep. about like how go, he's yep. probably one of those pioneers of like hip hop guys to be like, oh, I'm also do other forms of media in that regard, like because now you think of the modern examples like Atala Creator on like regular show and everything like that, but Killua was probably one of the first dudes to be doing that, man. Like yeah. it's it's, and it was very informative because like while once again, while you know, while you may know about some of these figures, to actually go into his backstory and learning that he was like. He really was like a peaceful, and love guy. Like, love, like
2: oh like, yeah, <laughs> his entire. I bet, I bet if anyone actually gets into Kudio's discography, they'll just be absolutely just fucked up because they'll see Gangsta's Paradise and be like, oh, he's this deep, you know, rap gangster poet kind yeah. of thing. And you listen to his music, and it's just like bouncy West Coast shit. It's, it's crazy. <laughs> it's 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 one. It's how it's.
1: It's we can probably, and this will be a conversation for another day. How one song will change someone's entire and change the public's entire perception of you forever. <laughs> it's insane. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, 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 and to bring it back to that sort of question of like, did it, if it changed the course of hip hop at all, I think it's very, very clear this article does a good job of addressing how it changes commercial hip hop. Um, I mean, in a way by kickstarting commercial hip hop. And it's kind of funny how that happens too, which is like Charlie mentions. So the song samples, um, Stevie wonder. And when they go to Stevie wonder to clear the sample, he's initially like, nah, like uh, you're not using this in, uh, some kind of gangster rap song or something, you know, even like he has that, like that, um, impression that that's not how he wants his music to be used. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's the, you know, Coolio goes to someone who goes to someone and eventually Stevie Wonder okay's it, but he has to take out the curse words, which, funny enough, is what makes the song a massive success. Because once the curse words are taken out, the song gets all the radio play. It gets the MTV play. You know, it's it sanitizing it in that way is sort of what makes people realize that there is potential to commercialize hip hop for a broader audiences. And then so sort of from there, you know, you, the labels start to embrace this more sanitized probably isn't the right word, but a, a, a clean version of hip hop that,
1: white that is easier to white market. Knives.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We call it that. <laughs> but one of the, one of my favorite parts about this article was you can tell that this article is, you know, <clears throat> so news that Coolio passes, you've got the newsroom at BBC news and they're like, okay, guys, like, Let's write some kind of obituary on Coolio. Let's, you know, some kind of coverage um, centered around the fact that he's died. And, you know, I don't know much about Mark Savage, the journalist who wrote this piece. Um, So I'm not really sure, you know, where his knowledge on Coolio was prior to writing it. But he has done a really, really good job of not just, you know, doing like an obituary biography write-up. Like the, the amount of time that goes into... Um, combing all of these interviews that he he brings quotes from you know is a significant amount of time to 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 read and gain all this information because you get a lot of coolio's voice here pulled from all of these different interviews into one sort of cohesive retelling of this iconic moment of his career that is the creation of gangster's paradise and it's a really 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 like sharp job of pulling from all these different places to bring one cohesive story that goes like way beyond the surface level. You know, it'd be easy enough to sort of pull together a Wikipedia entry on Gangsta's Paradise and then write, you know, pontificate a bit about how that led into Coolio's success and the changes to commercial hip hop. But the core of this piece still sounds like Coolio's voice, uh, which is obviously a testament considering that this is a post mortem coverage piece of an artist.
2: Yeah, so it's a really so I I like when a, I like when B comes through going like a I see the time put in. Uh, because he can he can kind of attest to just uh putting time in on that front, and uh, it's interesting. I'm I'm very surprised he didn't mention hot one. So uh, congratulations on that. For sure. Yeah, okay. he, right, well, he pulled for
0: quote he pulled quotes from so many places.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean that's 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 obviously um uh, the the. Article side of it and actually why it's good. So glad somebody actually uh um hopped on that side of it. But um, yeah, on the final note, I guess uh just um to finish uh, for me personally, um I'm I mean, Tyler put it pretty succinctly. Yes, the answer is yes in terms of changing hip hop, and you guys obviously um expanded on that for sure. Um yeah, it's it's, it's always um it's it's always interesting, I guess uh, how because I always I, I always think about a clean version of any song as just like a wrong version of a song right um because it's not what the ice intended right um but i don't know in this case i don't really mind i don't really I, I don't i don't even know if i've heard the dirty version if there is one um you know what i mean so i i, I don't know but i never cared at that point because the song was just super deep and uh, just an absolute great song on all fronts so it didn't really matter so I don't know. Maybe some uh thought process I have to I have to improve on um on the, on on the back of that. But yeah man, R. P. Coolio of course. Um and uh yeah man, I just uh, the track just still bangs. Like just, it's so evergreen. I don't know why it's just it's so evergreen to listen to. It's great.
0: Yeah, any any final points, Tyler? Um I
1: like guess I said Rest in Peace Coolio. Um but more more than anything uh it's i'm happy to always see how much these artists have changed my lives without without me knowing it it's always it's kind of heartwarming while we have lost them it reminds you of like the greatness um not only that they've provided for yourself but for others man so yeah it was really yeah. cool. i love this article in that regard
0: all right well thank you listeners for another episode of in search of sauce Uh, This has been Brandon, Tyler, and Charlie from Central Sauce. Um, As always, as we we like to wrap up here, um, if you are a freelance writer or indie writer or you are following other writers whose stuff you like but you don't see it getting enough attention, um, send us your stuff. Send us their stuff. We like to sort of mix up our platforms and writers that we're presenting here um, to sort of bring you know, bring more attention to a lot of the really good work that's being done out there that just isn't getting as large of a platform as it could be getting. Um, so yeah, thank you for listening.
2: Blessings. The episode of The Search of Source featured Brandon Hill and Tyler Jones of The Central Source Creative Collective and me, Tyler Taylor of the Fifth Element Podcast Network. The episode was edited by me, music for this show, it's functioned up by Basti, thanks to Chill Music for a bit to use. This has been The Central Source, Fifth Element Podcast, production, thanks to Basti, Chill Music, Central Source, Fifth Element, and content coming the episode can all be found in the form notes below. Thanks for listening, we will see you next time as we continue our search for Source.